Welcome to another episode of Vertical Momentum, where we are talking to thought leaders and game changers. And the gentleman I have on today is definitely a game changer, literally. Guys, I want to thank our sponsor. And the reason why I chose this sponsor, because we're going to get into talking about brand branding. Um, and my friend has a company called Live Your Brand Clothing Line. His name is Sean Douglas. He also has a podcast called Life Transformation Radio. So if you guys get a chance, check his podcast out. And if you love wearing gear that has inspirational messages on it, live your brand clothing. Guys, I want to introduce this gentleman. He is the CEO at Hot Corners Athletics. He's also a public speaker, a branding expert. So I don't know where this talk is going to go today, but it's going to be fun. Grab your pen and paper because you're going to want to definitely write some stuff down, especially about leadership and branding. Ron, my brother, how are you? What's going on? How are you? It's good to be here, man. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Hey, man, you know, us East Coasters got to hang out and, and stay together. I'm in Jersey and I know you're in New York, right? That's right. I'm in Buffalo. Yeah. So it's, it's cold where we're at right now. We're at all our snows mountain now. So we're doing all right. You know, I've never been as cold as I've been when I've been when I was in Buffalo and <laughs> up in the New York State area in the wintertime when we got ice storms at Fort Drum. I've never right. I, I hear that. Yeah, it's 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 um it's a different breed of people out here. It's actually kind of fun because you get those those gritty, uh, you know, hardworking people that, you know, have to get through six or seven months of really cold weather to enjoy a few months in the summertime. So it's it's been a fun experience for me. Um, especially not being from around here. I'm from Pittsburgh, PA originally. So uh, the weather's somewhat similar, but definitely a little bit more snow and definitely a little bit more bitter cold. Um, you know, so it's it's been a good experience so far. Yeah, yesterday I was talking to one of the Ogden brothers that played in the NFL, and he got drafted in Jacksonville and then ended up playing in Buffalo. He's like, wow, it's totally two totally different ends of the spectrum. That's right. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us a little bit about, you know, where you're from and what kind of, what kind of kid you were. Yeah. So um, de I dealt with a ton of adversity in my life. Uh, I grew up in Pittsburgh, um, single parent home, uh, you know, went through some adversity as a kid, obviously, you know, with some divorce and some, you know, a lot, a lot of stuff that happened when I was younger that kind of shaped me into kind of who I am today. Um, you know, so I, I, I always, went to sports as my outlet in life of being able to kind of just get away from the, the life that, and then the struggles that we had when I was younger. And that's kind of where I fell in love with, with baseball and softball. Um, you know, and I played that, you know, I traveled all over the country in high school, um, you know, playing in the South and stuff like that. And I ended up being fortunate enough to have a scholarship to play baseball at Canisius college in Buffalo. That's why I ended up coming up here. Um, I spent four years here, really tough coach, really, really good experience. Um, basically helped us become men. We learned about culture. We learned about, you know, how to treat people. Um, we learned about consequences for, you know, going against culture. Um, and so I took that into my coaching style. I, I've actually, as a coach, have had experiences of, of good culture situations and poor culture situations, which kind of got me into um, opening hot corn athletics, where our overall you know, idea for branding and goals is to basically just create an environment for athletes to feel comfortable, number one, but also understand responsibility, accountability, and, and being able to understand how that's going to transfer them into life, you know, because as, as we all know, you know, life is going to hit you at some point with some type of adversity, and it's all how we handle it that's going to help us get through that. So I feel like with the adversities that I dealt with um, as a kid, moving into college athletics, which was an incredible experience. And then moving into obviously my coaching career and, and running a company now, you know, everything for us is based on value to athletes, value to people itself and, and the culture that we create in house, which that all filters down into, you know, obviously the athletes that we're training on a daily basis. So who was that, that one coach that taught, you know, that touched your heart and took, you know, that you felt more of a kinship of like a father figure in your life? Yeah. So my, uh, the late Tim Banner, he just passed away last year was my high school guy. Um, he gave me an opportunity. I mean, money was tight. Um, I wasn't really able to afford being on a, a team like that, that traveled all over the country and they, they figured out a way to give me an opportunity. And, and he was basically, um, a father figure when I didn't have one. 
Uh, and then when I got to college, Mike McCray, who's now the pitching coach at Virginia Commonwealth University, he changed my life. Um, I had a huge chip on my shoulder going into college just to, you know, at the time felt like everybody was out to get me. And he basically taught me how to handle my own emotions and be able to create a culture and be a leader on a team that was, you know, filled with talented athletes. And, and the biggest thing that I learned in, col in college was the accountability aspect from a personal standpoint, um, an athletic standpoint, and being able to be a role model to people that were looking up to me. Because, you know, as, as you get older through college, you know, your junior, senior year, you've been in the system and a lot of younger athletes are looking up to you. Um, and that's how, obviously, the, the program continues to build is based on, you know, what the older guys are doing and how they're actually treating everybody else. So uh, Tim Banner was an amazing, amazing role model to me in my, you know, travel youth days. Um, and then Mike McRae with, with Canisius whenever I was there. So now, you know, I've talked to a lot of coaches on, on my other show. And, like, this is a brand-new show, so I want to thank you so much for coming on our show. Um, and I was talking to a football coach, and he said, when – when you're recruiting and you know it's different when you're sitting in front of a kid and his parents at their kitchen table recruiting them that you know you're trying to tell them you know i want to bring your son to college and i want to teach him to be a man not just a baseball player is that the way you you took it and you take it yeah and, and my recruiting my recruiting visit was awesome because he basically told me I, I was a late recruit um i was looking at a school in pittsburgh and they ended up dropping their baseball program so i was really late to the game and he pretty much told me he said you're the last guy in my class and i have no guarantees for you but what i can guarantee you is that when you come here you're going to compete you're going to learn about the game and you're going to be held accountable for every single thing that you do and if this is somewhere that you want to be you're going to have to work for it and nothing is going to be given to you. Everything that happens here, you're going to earn. And so, you know, as a high school kid, I'm like, okay, sweet. This is an awesome opportunity. I'm going to come in. I'm going to probably play as a freshman. And I remember showing up that first day and I was like, I don't know if I'm meant to be here, you know, because of how many talented guys were there. And, and that was really the first, you know, face of adversity for me is being the best player on my, let's say, high school team or one of the better guys and then going to college and out of 35 guys, I was number 35. I'm, I'm going to be completely open and honest. I was the last player on that team for my full first year, and I had to make a decision. Am I going to continue to work hard for what I want and be here for the right reasons and help our team win championships? Or am I going to be the guy that leaves after a year and, and 10 years down the road say, what if I would have stayed? So, you know, there was a lot of, you know, internal battles that I dealt with in that first season and that's why I think having such a great culture and having good people around you really helps because they help you get through all of that. You know, should I be here? Should I not? Should I continue to work hard? Should I not continue to work hard? And, and really the one thing that stuck with me is I loved the game so much. I loved what I was doing so much that it didn't matter how hard it got. And I think that goes into, you know, the culture thing that, that we're talking about a little bit is if you have somebody that really loves everything about the sport or what they're interested in, you know, even if it's not athletics, I think that's whenever you're going to get the people that are going to work as hard as they possibly can because they, they thoroughly enjoy it. You know, somebody who's just there because they're talented normally fades off because they don't love that work ethic or they don't love the grind of, of the day to day. You know what I mean? No, no. Like your story kind of reminds me now I'm a big, I'm a big sports geek always have been. And, you know, I'm not, I was not a big Tom Brady fan when he was with, with, with um, Patriots because I'm a Dolphins fan, so obviously I can't be. Sure. But, you know, every almost every interview you hear him talking about, I got picked 199th pick. I was Mr. Irrelevant. I was the guy that wasn't supposed to make it. And, and he used that as fuel. And he still uses it as fuel today. So when you were the 35th pick, did you use that as fuel every day? I was the first guy at practice. I found a wall to throw. I, I defensively, I played behind a draft pick. So my first year was pretty much, you know, that are you going to figure it out? Because you're definitely not going to find a spot this year. Because I had a great mentor. Sean Jamison made it to AAA with this at uh, the Arizona Diamondbacks before he ended up getting hurt and retired. Uh, I think he's a doctor now. He went to, you know, went back to school. Amazing, amazing person. And he basically told me, you know, this is setting you up to, to start here next year. And so I made sure I was the first guy there every single day. I knew what I was up against. I was um, 
it's, I wasn't that fast. I, I definitely was underdeveloped, you know, with the bat. Um, my tool was my arm. And so I had to learn how to play at that level defensively, offensively and speed wise. And so, you know, I did an extra day of speed work. I did an extra lift or two every single week. I, I took, if we took a hundred ground balls at practice, I took 200, you know, I was, I was fighting my coaches to get outside and hit me ground balls before practice started. And I know how busy they were. So, you know, those types of things I think are what molded me into actually what I'm doing now, you know, with, with hot corner, because there are a lot of people that run recreational facilities and, and have a really good culture and a really good brand. And for me, it's like, I'm going to get to work before everybody else. I'm going to make sure that I develop the athletes to the highest possible level that I'm capable of better than everybody else. I'm going to put in the work because I've already been at the bottom. I know what that feels like. And so now I feel like I've kind of got a little bit of steam here and I want to continue, you know, just because I, I love it. I love everything about it. And I want to be able to give people the same opportunities that I was given, you know, whether I deserve those or not. So how far did you, were you able to go in your baseball career? So I was, um, I, I started talking, you know, I, I talked to a few teams. I ended up, I ended up stopping playing uh, after my collegiate career. And, and I had that, you know, self-awareness talk with myself. And I basically said, you know, are you going to be a major league baseball player? And, and for me, it was, you know, what's your true passion? And I, I saw myself as a senior in college really start to love helping the freshmen and sophomores kind of mold into themselves at the collegiate level. So when the draft didn't happen, um, you know, you go through that same, am I a failure? Uh, am I good enough? Why did this not happen for me? And, and I truly, truly believe that my path in life is, was into coaching and was into running a business. And so, you know, obviously that in my mind at the time was a failure. It turned into a collegiate coaching opportunity immediately after. Um, my brother committed to Niagara University uh, in 2014, and I was fortunate enough to walk into an assistant coaching position at the same school. Um, I coached there for two years. And then for me, it was it was time to move into player development. And, and I started doing, you know, sessions with teams and I started training athletes. And now, you know, with the facility and the, and the business that we have, you know, we've got a, a bunch of pro guys that train at our place now. Um, I'm working with some agencies to get those guys here. So I think that once my playing career was over after my senior year, it was time to get into, you know, doing what I think my calling was, which is which is coaching and, and developing. You know, I love talking to coaches and I love their, their different mindsets. You know, I talk, like I said, I talked to um, an NFL player and, and an NFL coach, which will be coming out in a couple of weeks. And when I, when I said coach, I said, you know, what kind of player, if you were going to start a team, would you want? And he says, I want the guy that has that dog mentality. I want the guy that's, and you know, putting it in baseball terms. If I need a bunt, he's going to give me the bunt. You know, if whatever I, he, I ask him to do, he's going to do. That's the kind of guy that I want. I don't want any prima donnas. So talk to us about your mindset, you know, having players that have that dog mentality where, okay, coach, just tell me what you want me to do, and I'm going to do it no matter what. Is that the kind of player that you, lo you, that you look to? Yeah, and that's the player that I was. You know, so I look for guys that are willing to, you know, you hear this term all the time, basically run through a wall for you. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I batted, I batted ninth on my collegiate team for four years, and I, and I was an All Conference player twice. You know, so it didn't matter where I was in the lineup. Um, my coach sat me down. He told me, he said, "Listen, you're you're not the home run guy. I don't even need you to to hit guys in unless the situation arises. But I need you to bunt. I need you to hit and run. I need you to get on base somehow to turn the lineup over." Um, I tell people this all the time. My my biggest asset as an offensive player was legitimately driving pitch counts up and I, and I got hit by pitches a lot and, and nobody loves that part of the game, but you remember Craig Biggio. Oh yeah, with, definitely. With the, yeah. Okay. And, and he was the hit by pitch guy. Right. And, yep. and my, my coach sat me down and said like, this is the kind of gritty player that I need. And I was that guy. And so when I look for athletes now, it's not necessarily, are you going to stand there and get hit by pitches? But are you willing to do what it takes to get to where you want to go or where you're telling me that you want to go? Um, and that's what I look for, because there's so many opportunities for athletes now in the player development world. And it's like, you know, you see the guys that are willing to put the time in 
and really, really put that effort into to get better every single day, even when it's even when it's hard. Those are the guys that end up making it where they where they ultimately want to go. You know, and I love that. You know, of course, you know, being from New Jersey, um, I'm a Yankees fan for for life. Um, I would rather have a hundred Bernie Williams than one Alex Rodriguez. Yep, because he was willing to put in whatever you needed done. Bernie was going to do it. He was that kind of guy. He was that bring your lunch pail to work every single day and he was going to grind and you never heard any drama. So now being in, in the athletics field, obviously you've talked to a lot of guys that, like you said, have a chip on their shoulders. So when they sit down and talk to you and you know, a per- certain kid has a chip on his shoulder, how do you talk him down a little bit? So it really is just getting to know them as a person first. I, I think the biggest thing in any type of culture, no matter what, whether it's business or athletics or a team or whatever it is, you have to actually know who that person is and, and what their story is. I think the one thing that my coaches did a phenomenal job with me was they knew my story. They knew where I came from and what, what happened. And so it was easy to understand how to, how to get me to, to do what they needed me to do because they knew who I was. So I was able to trust them. The biggest thing with people that have a chip on their shoulder and I'm the same way is if I don't, if I don't trust somebody, then it's going to be really hard for me to bend over backwards for them. But if I get to know each individual athlete, and what makes them tick, we develop an incredible relationship. So that's where you're going to get them to buy into what you want to do. And it's the same thing for our employees and our brand itself. You know, I want to know how each employee is personally each individual day. You know, what am I getting today? Are you having a, are you having a good day at home or, or something up, you know? And so I think genuinely caring about people and getting to know each individual, you can break that wall down pretty easily, you know, once you can develop that trust from a personal standpoint. You know, and, and I love that, you know, like I'm a big, I was, I've been a big basketball guy. Um, and, um, you know, I'm, I was a big Lakers fan and Bulls fan and, you know, the coach that, you know, the winning, one of the winningest coaches of all time, you know, he had a special relationship with each of their players because he had to know what made them tick. And, you know, like my favorite player of all time was Dennis Rodman again, because he would do the dirty work. You know, he would yep. get rebounds. He would get the steals. He, whatever you told him to do, he would do. And he, and the coach learned how to deal with, different athletes on, on different wavelengths so have you ever had somebody that at one, when they first started in the locker room was a little bit toxic but then you decide you knew that you can work your way around it and still make it work and be successful yeah a ton of athletes you know from my playing days and my coaching days you know you deal with athletes that that if you look at the Dennis Rodman thing when the when the whole Michael Jordan thing came out and they were talking about how Dennis Rodman, you know, would go missing for three or four days. But that was his way of being able to actually function as a professional athlete. And, you know, we yeah, I think society talks down on that because they're like, well, you know, you need to be a good role model. But we're talking about a guy who literally put his life on the line every single night for his teammates. He may needed that three or four days to get out and just go be a human being. You know, it's the same thing in the locker room. You know, we. You deal with you deal with college with college athletes all the time, you know, making bad decisions. They're they're figuring things out. It's the way that it is. But being able to actually connect with those people on the level of why that's happening, I think is is what helps. Obviously, you don't want anybody to make bad decisions or do anything that's going to hinder the culture of your team. But when that does happen, it's all how you approach it, right? So when guys in the locker room, you know, go out drinking the night before a game or you know, forget to bring their jersey to the to the weekend. You know, you just have to figure out why that's happening. You know, why is the time management not where it needs to be? You know, why are you out until four o'clock in the morning when we're leaving at 8 a.m. for a weekend trip? Why are those things happening? Once you connect with them that way and figure out the reason why they're doing certain things, most of the time they stop doing it. But if you just, you know, give them the consequences, then they get to make a decision on whether the, you know, the risk is worth the reward or the consequences worth what they're doing. And so, that's the biggest thing is, is connecting them on that personal level when they do mess up, because then you can figure out how to get them to make better decisions moving forward. And, you know, one of the things I really love about you, like I said, since we connected, I really started following you, reading all your articles and everything is um, you're kind of like me in a way where you don't, you know, whatever happened in the past, it's in the past. Yep. You, you can't use it as an excuse for your future. So can you talk about that mindset, you know, that, 
because you know there's a lot of people that I've talked to that have been through a lot of trauma, and um, some people they either take the victim mentality or they take the victor mentality. And like you said, you've been through some rough times when you were a kid. So how did your mindset change into a victor mentality instead of the victim mentality? Yeah. So I, I became a protector, you know, and, and I'm the oldest of three kids. And so, you know, I became the protector of my siblings. And then I also got into the mode of trying to protect my mom too, you know, in certain situations. And so as I, as I try to personally connect with people, you know, my biggest thing with them is just figuring out like, you know, why are you, when you're failing, you know, what's your mindset go to, does your mindset go to, I'm just not capable or I, I stink at this, or I'm not that good. Or are you using that opportunity as a learning, as, as a learning experience? And so as I listen to what speakers talk and, and I hear a lot of what they say, it's, it's, it's winning and learning, or it's not a failure. It's a learning experience because you're going to fail your whole life. I mean, there's every single day you're going to fail at something, but it's all based on the way that you take it. So for me, I've been able to basically train myself to, it's not a failure at any point, whether it's, whether it's a financial mistake or, you know, you say something that you don't mean at a time of, you know, heat or whatever the case is, it's a learning experience to be able to actually get better as you move forward. It's, it's a long game. I mean, when it comes to sports and even life, like it's a long, long game. And so if we're able to actually just take a learning, take a failure and make it a learning experience and, and understand that for the next time it comes up, then you, that's whenever you actually take steps forward. But if every single time you fail, you take three or four steps backwards and you put your value down as a human being, that's whenever you're going to end up staying in the same place and spinning your wheels a little bit, because you're not going to be able to take those experiences and build on them. If that makes sense. Oh, definitely. Now, I, I interviewed a guy named Wes Chamberlain, um, former N- 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 MLB player for many years. And we were talking about, you know, how being a baseball player, how those skills translate in, into once you, you know, you're not playing those sports anymore. So what kind of skills transferred over from being an athlete and a baseball player and coach into business? I, I think that every single thing that has to do with leadership, time management, and culture transferred right over immediately. And so when we talk to, like with our meetings, you know, it's the same thing as a team meeting to talk about the way the weekend's going to go. So we sit down in a team meeting and every single person's voice needs to be heard because everybody's entrenched in the same growth of our company. You know, and, and that's where I think teams can do a really good job is, being able to actually let everybody's voice be heard, you know, and I, and I, because if we're all a team and we truly are a team that's linked into one, then everybody has a say in what we're trying to do as long as the goal's the same. So in our business, we talk a lot about vision. It's the same thing with teams that want to win championships. You know, the, the goal in college baseball is to win your conference and go to a regional and hopefully continue to go through until a college world series. In, in business, it's the same thing. If you're not constantly talking about the vision of where we're trying to go, you stay static. And so with us, like, like we have a meeting today, and the biggest thing for us is going to be, where are we? How are we doing? How's everybody feel personally? And what's our goal moving forward? And I think that right there is what I took from sport, because for us, you know, it's a daily, daily track to try and get to the championship. And so each day you have to basically say, all right, is what we're doing today getting us closer to what our end goal is, right? And I think that's where you end up enjoying the journey because you're, you're constantly every day get, trying to get somewhere. You're trying to improve to, to some capacity. So we do that in business every single day. And then from a culture perspective, you know, I've been on teams that have terrible culture and they could be the most talented teams in the entire world. But when you have poor culture, it's going to be really difficult to win a championship because when thing, when crap hits the fan, which is going to happen, you know, that's when you find out really what you're made of. And I, and I think from the business perspective, our culture starts at the top. And so for me, for instance, I noticed that days that I have a little bit less energy, you can feel it throughout the entire day with every single person there. But when I walk in, which, and I would say, I give myself a little bit of credit here that I, I have a pretty good energy for the most part, every single day, when the energy's high, that's when you get the most out of the athletes. And that's how culture's built. So if you build a culture around, you know, love and support and hard work and genuinely trying to get to know people and providing value, 
that's where, you know, your business is going to take off. And for us, it's always been about vision, culture, and, and being able to personally relate with people. Now, I have two things, you know, to say about culture. Um, you know, like Brady went from the Patriots and went to a, a team that had a losing culture for a, a long time. And within one year, you know, they win a championship just because they changed the culture and the hard work and, and everybody had to up their game because of the one person changing their culture. Now, my son goes to Coastal Carolina University, and they're obviously a, a, good, a good baseball team. And because they upped their game and changed their culture, now their football team had an amazing season because they changed their culture. So how can a person, you know, get, get into an organization and start changing the culture? Cause you know, there's certain, certain organizations that they just have bad, bad ownership like the Knicks, you know, they're just, it's bad ownership. That's, and like you said, it's all from the head, you know, it's all from the ownership down for culture. So if a person is getting a job in a place like that, how do you start to change the, the culture with the people that you, you know, recruit, say, how do you change that culture? Really by example, um, period. And, and I saw that in college, you know, my, my head coach, I mean, he had a family, you know, he had a life outside of baseball, obviously like everybody does. And that guy was there every single day early he was there every single day late there was no excuse not to put the time in because you were able to look up at the top and see that that guy was putting in the same or more effort than every single other person and I try to do that myself you know for me I always tell our athletes like if you want to be an elite athlete you have to live your life as an elite athlete it's what you eat it's how much you sleep it's what you're putting in your body and and what you're doing in the weight room on top of your skill development and so for me, I have to provide that same exact work ethic. Otherwise, the athletes are going to say, well, you're telling me to do all this stuff, but you're not doing that. I think that's what Tom Brady does so incredibly well, is that you know, he's 40-something years old, and he's putting a ton, a ton of time into just taking care of his body, the nutrition. You, know, you can see it all over his social media pages about the, the stuff that he's putting in his body, the way he's training, the way he's working out. You know, and so those types of things are what changes culture immediately because you're seeing somebody come in and basically say, this is how I want to provide my value to the team. When everybody jumps on the same train, that's where we'll get the most out of it. And, and I'm a huge Pittsburgh Pirates fan. I grew up a Pirate fan. I grew up 15 minutes from the stadium. And the one thing that I do not like about the organization is that you can tell that they're not trying to put a team out there to win championships. So I, I don't know for sure. I'm not bashing them, but I would guess that it starts at the top. That's why they're starting to change the way that their management team is, you know, cause they're trying to change the culture now, you know? And so that's what you see even with the Tampa Bay Rays. I mean, if you look at the Tampa Bay Rays, they always talk about how amazing their, their manager is and how he's able to develop a culture within their system to get those guys to the world series, even though they don't have the highest payroll. So that just shows that culture alone is going to help a team exceed expectation from everybody else. I love that. Uh, like I said, thank you. I, and I just want to say thank you for hang, hang, hanging out with us and hopping on. I'm thoroughly enjoying our talk. So I just wanted to say thank you, brother. I really appreciate it. It's amazing. I'm super happy. Oh, uh, now, you know, because like I said, I'm a Yankees fan and we're going to talk about branding. Uh, you know, the, the captain thought about branding from the minute he started playing baseball. And he had a certain brand to where now he is known as the captain. And that's all you have to say. You don't have to say his name. It's just the captain. But then you had on the other side, like I said, A-Rod was probably one of the most gifted baseball players of all time. But his branding was not very well. You know, like when you say, who do you consider a Yankee for life? It's never Alex Rodriguez. No, it's Derek Jeter, Mo. Yeah, those guys. So now, talk to us about branding. You know, what things to do and what things not to do when you're branding yourself and on social media. Yeah, I mean, when you put your brand out there, it has to be authentic, and I think that's the one thing we're getting significantly better at. You know, a lot of a lot of kids now, because I'm around kids all day long, they they go for post likes, they go for views, they go for you know a lot of people to basically say, "Oh, we see you." 
you know, and for us, a lot of times, you know, in the, in the very early stages, it was what videos are we going to put online that are going to get a lot of people to actually view them. And now it's all about, no, what are we actually all about? What type of value are we providing? What type of kids are we training? You know, transformation videos for player development is the best thing in the world for us. Now, does that drive up the most views? No, but it's authentic. So when people see that we're training a nine-year-old that by the time he's 14, you know, he's traveling all over the country playing the game because he's put the time and effort in, that might not get the 10,000 views we're looking for on, let's say, Instagram but it's showing our value as a company that we actually care about the kid and care about him over the longevity of his playing career. I think the biggest thing is authenticity. You know, I, I follow Gary Vaynerchuk a lot and David Meltzer who are, you know, serial entrepreneurs and they do a ton of stuff with, you know, investing and all that stuff. And the one thing that they always say is if you wake up every day and you're just yourself, then that's whenever you're actually going to make growth. If you're trying to be somebody that you're not or do something that you're not, your brand's not going to grow. You know, and the biggest thing for us is, you know, Hot Corner Athletics is a, you know, semi-startup company that's training anywhere from six-year-old to professional athletes. And what we're starting to see is that every off-season, all the pro guys in our area are starting to come to us. And when we first opened, it was never like that because we're providing value to people at every single level. And so what you're seeing is that the kids that are trying to make it to the highest level of their sport are starting to find places that they want to train based on culture. And so that's what we're getting out there. So the brand itself is all based on who's inside and the authenticity of it. So we're trying to basically create an environment where when people choose to come to us, it's not because they know they're going to get better, but it's because they genuinely enjoy being in our environment. And I think that's going to grow our brand all over the place. And so I've talked to a lot of high school kids. They've dealt with a ton of adversity this year with all this COVID stuff. You know, they're not around people as much. They're not able to you know, the recruiting world is crazy right now, but there's one place that they look forward to go and, and it's our place. They like coming to see us because we talk to them about life. We talk to them about adversity. You know, everybody's dealing with it, but it's how you handle it in the face of adversity that allows you to, to get through. And I think that's why our brand is doing so well is because it's not just about baseball and softball. We're trying to get people through life, which, which I think this game does an amazing job of teaching. All right. Now I have a question. I didn't think I was going to ask it, but, um, you know, I, I am a mental health advocate. Um, I'm actually having my own mental health summit coming up in less than 30 days, but, you know, I, I read a statistic or actually talked to somebody that on average, um, 4,000 children from ages of eight to 18 attempt suicide every day in the United States because of depression. And, you know, now COVID doesn't, doesn't help it at all. So when you have a kid, that you know is down and depressed um does your background help you be more empathetic and be able to help that player a little bit more because you've been through the muck yeah um my mom taught me about love man like and that was the biggest thing we dealt with so much and being able to basically look in the face of adversity and know that you got somebody that cares about you is, is everything in the entire world. I, I get to fall back on that all day long. And I, and I think the biggest thing with these athletes is, you know, a lot of times even going home is tough, you know, because there's so much pressure to, you know, get the athletic scholarship, get the academic scholarship. But, you know, a lot of the kids that are coming in here that are dealing with adversity, I literally will walk up to them and I'll be like, Hey, just want you to know that I care about you. Or I just want you to know that I love you as a person. You know, and that takes all the stress away from everything else. And I think that is the biggest thing for us. Um, I took the mental performance mastery certification with Brian Kane, who, who has been an awesome mentor to me over the last few years. And um, the biggest thing that he talks about is being able to understand when adversity strikes and how to handle each athlete. You know, there, there are some athletes that need you to get in their face. I was like that. I needed somebody to basically look me in the eyes, tell me that they care about me but then tell me that they're not going to take it easy. But then there's other athletes that need you to go up to them and say, Hey, listen, I care about you. And I'm willing to help you through this. That literally can save people's lives because sports end for everybody. You know, even if you're a big leaguer or a hall of famer, like it ends for you, you don't play at some point. So being able to actually have people in your corner that care, I think is significantly more important than the actual skill side of things. You know, and I'm a big, I'm a big um, Ed Milet guy. Now he played baseball, but he knew he was never going to make it as a professional baseball player because of injuries. And so, so he said, you know, I just knew I wasn't that good. 
So he transferred everything over to what he's doing now with public speaking. So please, you know, I have a lot of people that are going to listen to this or, that are looking to get into public speaking. And a lot of people think, well, I just get on the stage and I start talking. And it's not the way it is, you know, especially for, you know, a person wants to do a TED talk or anything like that. There's certain criteria that you have to meet in order to be a good speaker. So talk to us about how you um, work on your, your public speaking and what you do to actually perfect, you know, what, what you do. I, I, I try to train myself every day to be as genuine as possible. It's very, very easy to get caught up in um, trying to tell people what they want to hear, you know, and I think the one thing that I've gotten significantly better at over the last few years is no matter who's in the room, I'm as genuine as I possibly can. And, and you're not going to be able to please everybody, but if you're able to connect with one person, like my goal when I talk to people is just to genuinely connect with one person in the room. That's the biggest thing. If I'm able to connect with one person, I might save a life or I might help somebody do something that they were nervous to do. That's the biggest piece for me is being as genuine as possible and finding something that you love. Every single time I talk to anybody, it's as, pa as, as passionate as I possibly can be because I care about it. You know, I care about humans more than I care about my sport. I genuinely want people to use my platform as, you know, a CEO or a baseball and softball guy to be able to just say, Hey, listen, I genuinely like you as a person. And when I talk to people, that's my goal. My goal is to make one kid who grows up with adversity, understand that there's actually a reason why they're dealing with it. The reason why you're dealing with it is to, is to open something up way bigger than what they're dealing with right this second. And so having a genuine aspect to it and being able to actually talk from the heart goes so far. And that's what I talk about. So I try to be as authentic as possible with everybody, you know, and I'm realistic too. And I think that that, that might hurt people in the short term when you're realistic with them. But in the long term, they, they end up appreciating it because they know that you have their best interests in mind. Now, you know, and I know that we talk about mentors and um, but even from a young age, it seems like, you know, you had a heart of service, you know, even working with Habitat for Humanity and stuff like that. So who was it in your life that actually had that that instilled that heart of service to you? So there's a guy, his name's Dan Slivka. He's a surgeon in the city of Pittsburgh. And he actually was the guy who diagnosed my grandmother with cancer. And I didn't know this at the time, but he was the guy who gave me the opportunity to play baseball with my team. Um, the team is very expensive, traveled all over the country. You know, realistically, I was with some really high-end people that, you know, had a lot of money that were able to play. And I just wasn't that guy. And he looked at me as a person and wanted to genuinely help me as a person rather than my financial situation or my upbringing. And so what I do now is I look at every situation itself and I say, how can we help people? That's what our hot corner futures foundation is all for. You know, we go into the inner cities and we basically try to help athletes that aren't able to even make it to the field to give them opportunities to play the game that we all love, regardless of financial situation, whether it's equipment or paying for their team fees, you know, whatever the case is, our goal and everything that we do is to provide value in, in each platform. And that's, that's so big with that. And with the Habitat for Humanity, I went to a Jesuit college and Joe Van Volkenberg, who's an amazing, amazing person at that institution, basically told me, you know, hey, we're having a hard time finding people that want to come and help. Are you guys willing to take time out of your day to come and help? We went and we redid somebody's house in the city of Buffalo. And the look on their faces when they walked into a house that was actually livable was enough for me to do that as much as somebody would need it. And so learning that in college brought me into what I do now. You know, our nonprofit organization literally just tries to help kids that can't afford it. And I couldn't afford it, but I had a lot of help and I had a lot of people that cared about me. And so being able to actually provide that, you know, to somebody I think is so important, um, you know, and that's why it drives us to, to open up a nonprofit like that and, and fundraise for some money to be able to actually help kids. I love that. Now we're going to ask you a couple more questions and I'm going to let you get on with the rest of your day. Cause I know you have a lot of stuff got, got going on. Um, no worries at all. So now where do you see the future of baseball, professional baseball? Where do you see the future? Is it growing? Is it, is it stagnant? Is it dying? What is it doing? We need to connect with youth. I think what's happening is basketball and football are doing an incredible job of connecting with youth and baseball is a failure game. There's a lot of failure in it. And there's a lot of, you know, you're seeing a lot of organizations go to the mental performance training because athletes aren't prepared for the world of minor league and major league baseball. And so I think that the one thing that major league baseball could do a significantly better job of is connecting with the youth athletes to give them opportunities 
and, and help them enjoy the game. And so the biggest thing for me is I love the game because of how much fun Ken Griffey Jr. gave me watching him play. Well, I, I love named, the kid. I think the kid was amazing. My firstborn, we, we, uh, his first name is Griffey. Um, and I did that, you know, I absolutely loved him. I wore 24 when I was a younger guy. I mean, that, that guy alone changed the whole path for me with the game. The smile on his face is everything to me. And I, I believe from the bottom of my heart that he saved baseball in Seattle. And so when I talk to a lot of people about the game, it's like, what are we doing for the youth to grow it? And I think they're doing so much in the major league world, which is great. I think it's awesome. I think what they do on TV is awesome, but kids aren't watching anymore. And I think it's the, you know, the blackout stuff. You know, you can't really see that many games anymore. You know, I, I mean, I have to search to watch Mike Trout play and he might be one of the best players of our generation because we're on the East coast. We don't, we don't see him that much unless we're turning a game on 11 o'clock at night, you know, you, and, and even like me being a pirate fan, like I can't watch a pirate game you know, because it's all blacked out. And I think giving kids the opportunity to actually be involved and see the game is something that they could do a better job of um, and have more fun with it. I think the players weekend stuff is incredible. I go to the Lily world series every single year and being around that is so much fun. I think there needs to be a lot more interaction like that throughout the game. And I think you're going to get the game to continue to grow. I think it's a little stagnant right now because of, you know, the youth are choosing other sports based on cost. I mean, for basketball, you can, you know, buy a basketball or borrow a basketball and you can go play, you know, but with baseball, it's, you know, everybody's buying the, the most expensive bat and buying the most expensive cleats. And, and so it's turning into a really expensive sport because I think we're losing, you know, the care for the young athletes. Okay. Now speaking to parents, cause I'm a parent um, and, you know, a lot of kids are sitting home watching YouTube videos all day, playing video games, you know, not getting out like they, like we used to do as kids. Um, what are some of the things parents can do to help maybe get them into their kids into playing, you know, like my daughter plays, you know, she's nine years old, but she plays um, uh, girl softball. Um, what kind of things can we do as parents to help our kids get out there and maybe enjoy some of these baseball and, you know, softball kind of things? The, the biggest experience that I had that I loved was my mom, would actually try and play catch with us. And my stepdad, uh, he's an amazing person, would, would take us to the field. You know, it, it's the interaction with, with us. You know, I'm a parent now, and, and I want to do so much for my son, but I want him to love the game like I do because of the fun that I had with it. I think a lot of parents, what they're doing, and, and you know, with us running a facility, we deal with this every day, is drop their kids off and leave. So it turns into a job. It turns into an extracurricular. It doesn't turn into the passion that I had of, you know, I vividly remember going to a field. I, I made an error one time on a slow roller play playing third base. And my stepdad was like, Hey, let's go have some fun. You know, let's go make some on the run throws and, and see if we can just have a good time with it. And I vividly remember that experience with him because it, it took a, a, a part of, you know, my game that could use some work and we enjoyed it, you know, and I think that we're losing that as parents of just having fun going to a field or going to the cages and just being able to just spend time with our kids. You know, everything is so expensive now. It's all about getting professional help and professional development. And that stuff helps for sure. But, you know, having the relationship with my stepdad and my mom and just being able to be around the game with them and knowing that they're proud of me, no matter what was what continued to drive me to, to play the game as far as I possibly could the best athlete that I ever worked with in my life. He's projected to go in the first or second round this year in major league baseball draft. He was, he went to the cages with his dad every single day, his whole life until like the last year or so. when when he started just, you know, train with us because, you know, he's getting ready to, to get drafted, you know? And so having those experiences help kids enjoy just us being there. I think that's the biggest thing for parents. We're putting way too much pressure on kids to get the scholarship when the scholarship comes from love and, and work and wanting to do it, not training with the best coach in the country. You know, I love that. And, you know, it's funny, you know, like we're living in, you know, I live in New Jersey, you know, you're in New York, but to go to a Yankees game with a family of four, you pretty much got, to, you're going to blow your whole paycheck. It's yep. so expensive. But like when I lived in Myrtle, Myrtle beach, 
Um, I used to we used to go to the Myrtle Beach Pelicans games and support the local players. And it was such a fun time just hanging out and watching, you know, double A and triple A players. So is that something you think that they and and Major League Baseball can work on where everything's not going to be so expensive for a family to actually enjoy to go to a game? Yeah, I mean, people are people are paying the hundred dollar MLB package to sit at home and watch it rather than going and experiencing an actual game. You know, when I was a kid and my mom was uh, I was lucky I was able to do this cost me three bucks to take the trolley downtown, seven dollars to sit in a bleacher seat and watch a game. I never forget Brian Giles used to play left field for the Pittsburgh Pirates and toss baseballs in the stands every single game. Can't even tell you how many times like I was, you know one step away from getting like 10, 10 balls that he threw in the, in the outfield. Those are the experiences that continue to have people want to play the game and stay in it a long time. You know what I mean? I think that that's where we're losing. We're losing the player to kid interaction. Everybody wants the autographs now, you know, get to know these guys. I mean, major league baseball players are humans just like we are and having interaction with them is so important. You know, sports centers putting on their Instagram all the time of Aaron judge or somebody playing catch with a kid in the stands it's those types of things that we need to continue to do. And like, it shouldn't be $400 to go sit and watch a game, you know, let every single kid come in and watch BP. They want to see that. They want to see Aaron judge hit the restaurant and center field and BP and the junk house stand hit a ball out of the stadium. They want to see that, you know, and I think we're limiting that for a lot of these kids. And, and that's the reason why, you know, we have the Buffalo Bisons here. It's very cheap to go watch a game. And I remember watching Tyler glass now pitch, you know, when he was still with the Pirates, you know, in Buffalo, and I was sitting five rows back from the field. And that to me was a way better experience than, you know, going to a major league baseball game, because you got to sit 500 roads deep, you know, just to be able to see the game now. So I think being able to interact with the kids, like I said earlier, is so incredibly important. And that's what's going to drive the game. And, and that's an experience that families can have, but it's costing families $1,000 to go to a game now. And so they're not doing it. They'd rather spend the hundred bucks to see the whole season. Yeah. I love that. Now last two questions. Um, tell us how can we get in touch with you? How can we support your, tell us about your nonprofit, how we can support you and tell us what we can do to help support your mission, which this whole episode is all about. It's all about you and your mission. So how can we support you? Yeah. So we're, we're hot corner athletics on all platforms. Um, hot corner futures foundation is our nonprofit. Um, we take donations through our website, hotcornerfuturesfoundation.com. Um, we take donations on a website called Chip In. Um, you know, there's, there's a guy that helped us get set up there, Gerald Smiley, who played with the Texas Rangers for a while. He runs Chip In, which is an amazing, amazing platform for nonprofits. Um, we're taking donations through there. We're taking donations, you know, on, on the website, like I said, and then just just following our, what we're doing in player development. I think the biggest thing for us is being able to provide opportunities. So any way that we can provide opportunities for kids, you know, that'd be great. Um, you can shoot us a contact, you know, log on our website, hotcornerathletics.com. Um, and I'm willing to speak, you know, come to places, talk to people, help kids. You know, you guys can reach me through there. It's probably the best way. Um, and I'm willing, like I said, I'm willing to help anybody, any kid, any parent, any coach. Uh, in the country that's looking for an opportunity to, to help themselves and improve. You know, we're always here for that, but you know, we're trying to help kids all over the country have an opportunity to play the sport. So the foundation that we've created is such a great platform for that. Okay. I love that. Now the last question I ask everybody and I ask a hundred different people, I get a hundred different answers. You know, we're in such a crazy world that we live in with, you know, uh, working hard, you know, or trying to find work if you're not working, you know, or parents teaching kids and, you know, cause of COVID that if I ask somebody to do something in seven days in this busy world, they're never going to get to it. But if I ask them to take an actionable step in the next 24 hours, they're more than likely to do it. So if you know some, uh, uh, you know, a young man or even a young lady that is starting to age out of the, um, their career, their, their uh, career winding down, what is something they can do in the next 24 hours to where they can maybe start thinking about a different career path. What can they do to start, you know, thinking, okay, well, I'm not going to be a player anymore. So now I have to move on to something else. What can they do? Yeah. Just, just brainstorm on what you genuinely love. I've had this conversation with so many athletes because they're, they're struggling with what to do in school, right? What am I going to go to college for? And in the short term, um, a lot of people choose the safest route and, for a long time, I thought college coaching was the safest route for me until I 
love player development and youth athletes a lot more. So it's finding something that you genuinely love, then it's never work. You know, you hear that all the time in the short term, it's very difficult. And, I, and I'm not sugarcoating that. Like it's hard because, you know, there is a financial aspect to it and there is a, you know, how are you going to get through life and what's the, what are steps are you going to take to actually get there? But brainstorm what you genuinely love to do in life and, and go towards that as hard as you possibly can. And that's where you're going to actually have your highest quality of life and happiness is through something that you love. Um, you know, you clearly love talking to people and providing value and missions with a lot of people. And, and so you loving that, I could just hear your passion when we talk. And it's the same thing with me. I love coming to work every single day. Is it hard sometimes? Yes, everything is, but adversity and failures or learning experiences are temporary. So finding something that you genuinely are passionate about, you're going to have such a high quality of life in that. So somebody that's looking into what they're going to do in the next step in life, it's finding something you love. And then if, if that ever fizzles out and maybe that was maybe that's what you loved right now, make a decision in the future to, to change your career path. You can always do that. There's so many opportunities in life right now to choose what you're passionate about and what you love and just go after that with everything that you have. I love that coach. You know, I'm so grateful. And, you know, and when I ever have an, uh, a guest on the relationship is just starting today and I would love, you know, to build a relationship, you know, in the future. Um, and, and I just want to say thank you for what you're doing, you know, especially helping kids, you know, especially what you've been through, but you're helping others. So guys definitely check out hot corner athletics. If you need a speaker, he will come to you. If you need your kids, even just to sit down and have a chat, definitely reach out to him. Guys. Also, I want to thank out, thank live your brand clothing for sponsoring this episode coach thank you so much i'm so honored and grateful that you took the time out today no thank you i really appreciate this i'd love to do this again and, and we'll stay in contact like i said anybody who's looking for anything um you know speaking donations futures foundation stuff hot corn athletics player development uh we're here for you guys and even if it's just somebody to talk to that's why we're here and that's why we do what we do but like I said, I appreciate everything that you're doing and, and I can't wait to continue this relationship moving forward. All right, my friend. Well, God bless you and have a beautiful weekend. All right. God bless. Take care. Thank you.